Have you ever wondered how successful architecture, engineering, and construction companies scale their business? Or have you ever wanted guidance on how to get more growth, wealth, and freedom from your AEC company? Well, then you're in luck. Hi, I'm Will Forat. And I'm Justin Nagel, and we're your podcast hosts. We interview successful AEC business leaders to learn how they use people, process, and technology to scale their businesses. So sit back and get ready to learn from the industry's best. This is Building Scale. Hey listeners, it's Will here. Our mission is to help the AEC industry protect itself by making technology easy. If you've ever listened to our show, then you know that the three pillars of scaling a business are people, process, and technology. So if you suspect technology is your weak link, then book a call with us to see where we can help maximize your company's IT and cybersecurity strategy. Just go to buildingscale.net slash help. Today's guest is Mark Sheeran. Mark is the founder of Odyssey Advisors. He has close to 20 years experience in the AEC industry and is an engineer by trade. Currently, he and his team at Odyssey help entrepreneurs scale their businesses, specifically they help impact-driven leaders with five-plus million dollars in architecture, engineering, construction, and real estate companies go from hitting the ceiling to scaling their businesses while reducing their own involvement in the day-to-day operations. Uh, Mark has got his MBA from NYU Stern School of Business. He is a real estate subcommittee advisory board member for the NYU Alumni Council and is an advisory board member and lecturer in discipline for Manhattan College School of Engineering. Uh, if that intro doesn't explain why Mark's on the show, I don't know what else would. Uh, but with that said, Mark, welcome to the show. Hey, Justin, thanks so much for the intro. Uh, great being with you too. Um, looking forward to it. I can't wait. Can't wait. Happy to be here. Yes. To give a little bit more feedback, we've been uh, kind of going back and forth with Mark on a few different things uh, across the board here, probably about two, three months, something like that. Yeah. And uh, we just, we just, Gel. It's like peanut butter and jelly. Uh, it is. We think the same. Have passion for scaling businesses, specifically in the in the industry, AEC industry. I mean, it is. It is like you are one of us. One of us. One of us. Like totally. That's the vibe I have. I said these nice things about you. It sounds all fun and, and grand. But tell me, uh, or tell us and the listeners, what your origin story is. Tell us about you, how you got into the industry, and tell us a little bit about Odyssey. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Um, thanks again for having me. So. I am an engineer, so how did I get into the industry? I, I graduated from Manhattan College uh, as an engineer. I'm a professional engineer in New York State. But kind of early on in my, my educational career, I kind of just got this itch that design and construction like in the business isn't where I wanted to spend my time. So where a lot of professional engineers, they spend time building buildings or roads or whatnot, I spend my time building businesses and helping entrepreneurs in our space build their businesses. So And building scale, might one might ask. And building scale. And bu- there we go. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Never miss a plug. Never miss a plug. <laughs> so earlier, you know, when I was in college, I, I, didn't, I knew I didn't want to do design, knew I didn't want to do construction, but I wanted to stay somewhere where that technical background would give me a competitive advantage over other people I might bump into. So I thought to myself, what industry could I go into where – while I'm not doing engineering, the fact I am one would put me, you know, five steps, 10 steps ahead of everybody else I was dealing with. And I landed on real estate, uh, real estate development, because it's it's grounded in, you know, it's grounded in the asset, right, at the end of the day. So the fact that I knew the systems, how it's built, could do it more 
effectively ended up you know, being helpful. So out of college, I went into real estate. I was on the owner's rep team for the Freedom Tower, which as a native New Yorker is one of the cool, you know, unfortunate it ever had to happen, but with it happening, it's one of the coolest professional experiences that I've had being on that team. Worked in, did that, worked in real estate development, did some out of the ground condo work. And during that time, I started at NYU at night. As an engineer, I thought that I would really love the hard finance courses, you know, with the formulas and whatnot. I, I frankly, I found it pretty boring. <laughs> what I really liked was the, the management courses, the marketing courses, the strategy courses. And I went back to one of my old uh, bosses and I told them like, hey, there's this whole, you know, strategy field out there. And, you know, do we, does anybody ever apply that back to architecture and engineering? And as nicely as he could, while, well, you know, this 25-year-old kid was telling him something he spent his entire career in as if it was this, you know, newfound thing that I just discovered. <laughs> uh, he, he, very, he, he very nicely offered me a job and brought me into the corporate development team at STV Incorporated. So I spent three and a half years there. We ended up, you know, we did a couple deals. Then that deal flow slowed down. The company started looking more at organic growth. So I was at a point, I was expecting my first child and kind of going through this existentially, you know, what do I want to do with my life? Uh, so I pivoted back into real estate. Uh, I did affordable housing in New York City for a period of time. And we can get into any of this in more detail if you want. But the deal I was on slowed down and ended up evaporating. Uh, so I just, you know, I had had two kind of parallel paths in my career going that had been slowed by these external factors. And at the time, all those external factors were the right thing. But I kind of had this entrepreneurial itch out there that you know, I just wanted to give this a go and try it out on my own. So in 2018, I started Odyssey with one client in hand and kind of the rest is the rest is history. I've been doing this for almost five years, five years this May. So looking forward to that anniversary there. Congratulations. That's amazing. Thank you. Congrats. Thank you. Thank you. And I, you know, if you look at Odyssey as two parts, there's Odyssey 1.0 and Odyssey 2.0, because in 2020, I went in-house with Sullivan Engineering. Brian Sullivan's a great friend of mine, and he was the one that introduced me to EOS. I had no idea what EOS was before that. He introduced me to what it meant to be, what an integrator was, this term that exists in EOS. I'd never had any idea what an integrator was. So it was this moment, guys, where you know I, it's as if I had lived in a dark room and somebody flipped the lights on because I'm reading these books and I'm wondering why why is everybody talking about me, right? Everything about the integrator avatar was so spot on to me as a person. I realized every experience I had enjoyed up until then I was integrating, and you know every every experience I've enjoyed since I I was also integrating. So I was able to get into Sullivan Engineering. I helped. Brian uh, scaled the business up, helped him let go of the vine, as EOS puts it, become the visionary that he needed to be, it was best for his family, best for the company. Uh, and in that headspace, he realized that what was best for all those cohorts was to sell the business. Uh, so I was able to pivot and put my advisor hat on, help him sell the business. But there was this one moment during, as we're, as we're prepping, we were having breakfast every morning, right? Virtual coffees getting into it. Yep. And there was this one moment where I looked at Brian virtually and I said to him, you know what I absolutely love about what I'm doing right now is that every morning I'm getting up and the work I'm doing is changing your life. And I said, it was kind of just matter of fact like that. And all of a sudden, like you can just feel the weight of the comment just kind of come down on the room. And we both looked at each other and in, in, in EOS, it's the purpose, cause and passion, right? The PCP. And I said, that's my purpose, isn't it? And we kind of both got kind of like, fuck yeah, it is. 
<laughs> yep. Yep. You know, so yeah, absolutely. Is so when when Brian sold the company, I ended up going back into Odyssey, now Odyssey 2.0, with this new purpose, you know, purpose in life of going out there and changing lives. But the interesting thing is, so that's why I'm there. But you know, this and you, you I, I like to say, if you want to make awesome easy, I want to change your life and help you get there. So where did that first part come from? It's really the type of entrepreneur that I like working with, right? There's a million kinds of entrepreneurs out there. But if you think about what all entrepreneurs have in common, they come from, they've all made this huge decision in life, right? They had a job, they had security, they had to, and for whatever reason, they made this crazy idea like I did back in 2018 to go jump out and, and give this crazy thing a whirl, right? And most people, most people that start a business aren't the same people that are really good at running a one, two, three, five, 10, $25 million business. And these people put their heart and soul into the company and the reward they get is the business around their neck like an albatross. <laughs> yep. Uh, or you could use an albatross or a big metal weight sucking you to the bottom of the ocean. So what, what I love doing is coming in with those entrepreneurs that are really just trying to make awesome easy to live that awesome entrepreneurial life. Uh, to make that a little bit easier, give them the structure and perspective they need and and help them get up and be the be the leader they need to be. That is super inspiring. Uh, we're we're recording this on a Monday. So like, man, my week is set now already. Like I know like this is to the moon. So uh, thank you for that. That's great insight. Yeah, uh, love that, you know, changing lives by making awesome easy. Like that's amazing as a purpose like that, you know, we're obviously a new as company. So near and dear to our hearts with you you're talking about there. So one of the things we had asked you uh, first out the gate was of people, process and technology, which is the belief of how you scale a business, which is the most uh, important or, you know, what, when you look at those three, like, which is the most important. And you said something completely different, uh, which was structure. Yes. Which I loved. I, I love that. So t can you talk a little bit more about structure and getting that right before you start with people, process, and technology. Sure. Yeah. And I, I don't know why all my analogies start with a dark room, but <laughs> <laughs> you got a dark sense of humor. I don't know what it is. <laughs> dark sense of humor. Yeah. But if you picture, you know, your question without structure is kind of like looking at them in a dark room. You can't really tell if you're dealing with an issue and a problem in the business or you're not optimized in a certain way trying to figure out whether you have a people process or tech issue without having that right structure in place. It's like trying to solve the problem in a dark room. So by starting with structure, what are those core functions of the business? Uh, getting that straight, making sure that people are in charge of each one of those core functions and then tackling these big problems. It just, it just helps make it cleaner and clearer as to which one of those you're really you're really looking to tackle without naming names mm -hmm. can you explain or give us some examples what you're talking about give us some sure real life experience examples yeah, yeah so look every business on the planet has three core functions that are exactly the same right they win work they do work they get paid for work so there's sales and marketing there's operations and there's there's finance and in eos they add on this end administration right so that's kind of the catch-all i always feel for my cfos who have you know the catch-all under them but those are the three core functions out there, right? So if you, and in certain industries, especially ours, right? You know, architecture and engineering, that's so people driven. Sometimes you'll see a fourth seat come up there of talent. Speaking of technology, if it's a really heavily tech enabled business, you might see tech come up 
as a as a leadership team seat, especially with everything that's going on in in cyber and whatnot, right. where that's just becoming so critical in in the business, especially in architecture and engineering, you'll see that as a fifth seat potentially. You know, you you identify these these three seats, and oftentimes what I see with my clients is they'll have a leadership team, but not quite so clear as to why each person is there, right? So they'll have the person that leads XYZ office, they'll have the, the head architect, they'll have the head engineer, and they've just been with the business for the longest period of time, right? They've been there 25, 30, 35 years, and they've always been their senior in the company, they're the most senior in the company. So for management team, of course, they're on the team. But when they all come around the table, they don't have clear hats that they're wearing. Right. They don't have a clear role and responsibility within the organization that's tied to a core function that turns the wheel as to why they're there. So if we take those exact same people and we just say, look, you know, you are in charge of sales and marketing. Right. Your number one metric is weighted pipeline. Get get ops and get opportunities in the door. You know, number two, you're there for operations. Your number one priority is labor efficiency, right? Make sure that people are working, they're being effectively assigned to projects and they're moving through it. And then you, you're in charge, you're in charge of finance, right? You, is AR going out? Are we managing WIP? Are we managing, you know, is, is that machine going, right? What's our cash flow? What's our cash management strategy? And it's the same three people, right? They also happen to run, be the head architect. But when you come together as a management team and there's an issue that comes up, you're looking square in the eyes of the person that's accountable for solving it. And it just adds to it. It, it gives a lot more uh, to use the EOS term traction in the conversation. Well, thank you for that explanation. That helps a lot in terms of experientially. I'm hoping someone heard that and went, aha, uh, out there. Maybe, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe it helped. Maybe it helped someone. I think it did. So you have these leadership seats, obviously getting work, doing work, getting paid for work, and then possibly some other couple. Where does your your owner, your visionary, or or whatever, whoever that is at the top there, what 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 what's that look like? So you know we talked about hey these three seats across every business imaginable need to be you know running the right way, have to be operating, have to have the right people in the right seat, all those kind of things. What about that leader, that visionary? What, what are they doing? What are they sitting around, chilling, got their feet on their desk? What's, what's happening there? Is that the goal? So so the vision at its at its core, right, it's, as it's most basic, the visionary is responsible for where the company is going, right? What What's next? Who are those big clients, those big ideas that are going to help us get there? What's around the corner and how are we going to, how are we going to get there, right? Where they, where it kind of comes from that visionary down to that integrator or that president or that chief op, chief operating officer, depending on what system you're talking about. We'll we'll just speak EOS today since I know you're on it. And I spent sure. a lot of time with EOS clients as well. So that integrator, right? Okay. Where that transition tends to happen is with that strategic planning. Mm -hmm. So that's where that 10, five-year vision becomes a three-year, you know, executable plan. And some oftentimes where our, our lovely visionaries start to lose some altitude and you need that higher follow through, uh, more detail oriented um, integrator to kind of come and grab it and, and bring it back down to the ground. And where do you, where does Odyssey find themselves in place? Where, where is the insertion of Odyssey uh, in this system? Yeah, so where we typically come in would be you know, helping with that structure. So picture the structure is like that weight on the ground with the day-to-day. -day. Mm -hmm. We're kind of taking what's going on in the day-to-day -day and giving, giving it to some structure. Then there's that vision out there. 
that the visionary mm -hmm. sees crystal clear, right? But everybody else on the ground just sees clouds in the sky, right? The visionary is like, what do you mean? That's a dog and that's a dragon and there's a bunny rabbit. Like I can see a crystal and everybody's looking at it like, yeah, okay, I just, I don't see much of anything. So what, what we do with that picture of kite kind of up in the, up in the sky, we take the string yeah. from that kite and tie it down to the structure, right? So it's the structure that's the anchor to the vision. That's what gives it. it the ability to pipe through because you have to have people to own various parts of it, right? So we identify what that 10 year vision is. We break that down into mid, middle term, uh, short term, and then these 90 day goal sprints. Mm -hmm. And then in those 90 day goal sprints, once people are fully accountable for certain parts of the business, it's easy to assign who's doing which one of those 90 day goals, right? This is a sales and marketing one. Obviously it's you. This is operation. It's obviously this person, right? And it just brings that down. And then, you know, if you want to do a Ben Franklin analogy, it's that lightning bolt that gets the electricity <laughs> down to the ground through the kite. That's where the magic happens. So if we do all our work properly. Well, lightning makes light. You know, we got to go back to the right. dark room. What happened there, Mark? <laughs> now you're bringing light in here? Come on. What are you doing? Bringing in light. Bringing in a little bit of light. So that's where the magic happens is once all that work we do, that, that kind of, I call it efficient strategic planning, because there's a lot of strategic planning out there that you end with these big books that sit on the bookshelf. We're just going affect like, what do we need to do to get stuff actually mm -hmm. happening? Um, and it's that. And then when the lightning bolt happens, it's it's magic. It's fun. Oh, I love that. So you are a little bit of a visionary psychologist is really what I'm hearing. You're helping, you're helping them go through the muck that's in their head and scheming it all over the tables and reorganizing. That's kind of what I'm hearing. That, would that be a good description? Yeah. And as I keep going in my own entrepreneurial journey, I start to do more and more of that. When I started, it was just me. Uh, so I had to do the kind of the visionary uh, psychology part of it, as well as the dealing with the teams and hiring and getting that all the way down to the weekly and daily pulse. And now I have uh, a gentleman working with me, Adam Holtz, who's fantastic. And he's giving me the ability to kind of delegate and elevate up to where I'm more working one-on-one -on -one with the visionary helping facilitate those ideas, structure and filter those ideas down. And then together, I'm able to hand that over to Adam, who then takes it into that weekly pulse, where he's you know running out the weekly meetings and kind of driving down to the day-to-day -day ad hoc kind of activities. So there, a lot of emotions, right? I mean, that, that to me, it seems, when you, especially when you're sitting in that visionary, helping the visionary mm -hmm. piece, because you're, you'd mentioned like letting go of the vine. Yeah. Like that's... That can be really difficult. Yeah. Like I, I mean, we've seen this firsthand at Spot, where it's like this is a thing that I've done. Like I've always said, Will's done this thing. Like this is he is you know the person doing this, and it's like yeah, but for us to scale, for us to get bigger, for us to grow, for us to do these things, yep, you need to not do that. Like you need to not be the person that's in that day to day, every day hitting this thing. So there does is it a lot of emotional helping? Like is the easiest way to put it. Again, I'm not saying that you are definitively a psychiatrist by any means, but being helpful in an emotional way, essentially, I guess is my question. Is that what a big part of what you do? Yeah, it's look. I'd say probably 50% of it is is somewhat being a psychologist. Okay. I think I forget if it was you, Justin, or Will, at the beginning of this. You know, that whole one of us, one, one of us, one of us, one of us, one of us. So there's there's two things to that that I have brought me to this niche, mm -hmm. right? One of them is I am an engineer. So every, and, you know, for architect, I'm not an architect, but, you know, we get, we get very close. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I've had the same educational and professional background that most of my clients have. I just took a, I took a left where they took a right mm -hmm. uh, in, in the last couple of times. So I can very much so relate to the day-to-day -day parts of the business. Um, the other thing is, and I say it's all the time with my entrepreneurs when we're talking about things, it's like, yeah, no, I get it. I'm a business owner too, right? Like you lo you're losing sleep over this. I lost sleep over the same thing last week. And what you're talking about, I'll lose sleep over the week before that. <laughs> so there's very much this, this empathy to it that in this sweet spot that I found myself, it, it, it works. Cause I'm very much so I just bring different tools. If I was trying to design a building, they'd be able to add the value there. They're trying to design a business and I'm able to, to help out going in that direction, but we're all just entrepreneurs swimming in the soup. Hmm. So, so, so we talked about the structure, the three absolute mm -hmm. seats that exist, possibly a couple other two, uh, you know, we're, yeah. we're, we're a big believer in technology here at Spot Migration, so you're aware. So, uh, you know, yep, we, like, we like the technology seat sitting up there in the leadership. But when you get bigger, right, so say you're working with a 50-person firm in comparison to a 500-person firm, like, does that change? Like, is that like, oh, well, now you, you have a lot more people. Does that change what that leadership team looks like? Look, if you're if you subscribe to the idea that you should align based on the core functions of the business. Mm -hmm. I've seen this where, I mean, I have clients that are up, upwards of $100 million a year mm -hmm. that are structured, you know, to, to five leadership team seats that where they have that structure. Mm -hmm. It does, it does work. Uh, oftentimes where it starts to get somewhat challenging is at the layers below the leadership team. Mm, okay. Right. So where you start to see some of the, you know, a matrix organization or, you know, different offices, different locations, how are we going to get all them speaking to each other? You know, it doesn't really make sense to have a head of operations. Okay. If it does, who reports into them? Is it the head architect, head engineer, head MEP, blah, blah, or is it the head of the New York office, the head of the LA office that like, what's that next tier is oftentimes where the complication comes. And sometimes it's easier, although maybe not the right decision to, to, to just have those offices report up into the, and that's where you start to see these, the leadership team scope creep happen okay. where it just starts to become this because it becomes such a more complex organization in the in the areas below it but it does work if you just focus on the core functions okay and so obviously we talked about eos they're scaling up there's the great game of business there mm -hmm. are other operating systems is there there one that you one do you guys run off one uh at odyssey and then two is there one when you go into a business that you're like, oh, this is this is what you need compared to this one or any of that? Like, what's the differences that you've seen working with different ones? Yeah, so I think to take it take that a little bit and, and flip it around, um, there's a couple things that I look for coming into a company, right? Mm -hmm. One is uh, a, a leader, an entrepreneur, a visionary who's made the intentional choice to change, right? It's really, really hard slash unproductive for me and them to work with entrepreneurs and visionaries that haven't kind of crossed that bridge. If what they think, if they think that they have the secret sauce here and can do it themselves, it's hard to convince them the value that I'm adding by being in the room. So what I've learned over the last few years is that that whole two part business development cycle doesn't really work. They need to have gone that first step on their own. And then I can help them explain why either me or somebody else is the right decision for them to go. Uh, so that's the first. The second part is, you know, they need to have a leadership team in place. So if if you're a single, if you're a single visionary, single entrepreneur with a bunch of doers under you, a lot of the, the 
perspective and structure we bring to the table doesn't typically work at the ROI that we require for our, our clients. You know, we like we we like our clients to be able to sit there and say, what we're doing with Odyssey is getting a 10x return on my business. That's that's the threshold that we like to operate at. The third one is I don't I don't really care what operating system you're on. Uh, but you need to be on an operating system, right? I'm pretty agnostic. I think EOS right now, really, it really works. I'm seeing it really take off in a number of the clients that I'm working with. But if somebody came to me and said, hey, look, I'm, I read The Great Game of Business and I want to implement some of this, or I read Scaling Up, or you know, and, and this is what I'm on and I have a coach for ABC, I'm not making a big pitch for people to change systems, but whatever system they have, have being on one system and being being all in is important. So if you were to define just really quick what an operating system or what a management system is for running your business, what would you say the key components are regardless? You don't have to recreate the wheel, right? Every single, so you you figure that, it, that there's 80%, 90%, 95% of the decisions, the structures, the things out there have been done before. So if you can, if you can automate, automate, those 80% of decisions just being like, no, no, we're on EOS. We do this. <laughs> you know, like we're not debating this. We're not talking about this. It's called the process. We do the, we do the process thing and on we go. Or it's called an accountability chart. Or no, it's a same page meeting. It's an L10. This is our agenda. Like it just the the noise level in the room comes down. And there's just this is the roadmap, right? We meet every quarter. That's just what we do. In the 90-day world, we're not talking about this. Like we decided the rocks, we came really, really focused in on them. We decided together, these are the most important things. I will see you in 90 days, go get them done. Right, it just, it, the, the noise level and the, the the turbulence comes down. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, it actually also brings to mind the 80-20 rule, right? So like this starts me thinking of, 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 of process. So talk about that, talk about 80-20 rule. 80-20 rules everywhere. The the 80-20 rule I want to bring up is actually kind of not, but might be impactful for somebody listening here, right? So the 80-20 rule I use the most is actually on, on processes and, and problem solving, right? So you picture you have something to do, right? You need to bring a strategic plan together. You need to do something. I don't, what, what, what would be helpful? Give me something you guys are, are working on as a big bucket. Client experience. We want to uh, fix client experience process. What are we going to do? Okay, so 80-20 rule, right? 80% of that client experience work that you have to do, Justin, is going to be done with 20% of the effort. Getting it across the finish line from 80 to 100% is going to take 80% of your effort. So if you just get it to 80% and you spend 20% of your effort, and uh, this is a Dan Sullivan strategic coach tool, hand it off to somebody else. At that point, get it to 80%, spend 20% of your time, and let somebody else bring it the next 80%. So they're going to spend 20% of the time to bring it the next 80% and 20%, which is 16. So you're going to be 96% done on 40% of the effort. Yeah. Hand it to somebody Hand it to somebody else. They're going to bring it 80% of the last 4%. They're going to be at 99.6% done, which in anybody's books should be done and they're going to be at they're going to be at 50 to 60 percent of the effort right so you can get your you can get your experience done not only is it less touches on your part you do the first hand it off to somebody else touch it at the end dictate it into something have somebody finish it up blah, 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 at a fraction of the of the energy level 
and you'll you'll find that it gets it just it just blows through barriers and and knocks things down, which is unbelievable. I've done presentations that way. It's unbelievably powerful. Yeah, I, I love that. Love the eighty twenty. Love it. There was when we we're talking about the differences in structure and company sizes. I brought up something that I uh, in our previous conversations about ceilings. Yep. There's a term that you used. Could you talk about it? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, 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 yeah. Framework alert. Framework alert. It's the framework. It's the, framework. Framework. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's yeah. the it's the Griner curve, which is also called the growth crisis curve. Talk about that, please. This excites me a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's the framework, right? You have fast growing companies. As the business expands, what we oftentimes see happening is that stuff that worked yesterday just like magically all of a sudden stops working, right? The workload increases, the systems start to break, and we get into these crisis modes. So what, what Greiner did, who was a professor, I think he was at Harvard, is he broke it down into these six growth phases, right? So you have growth through creativity, you have growth through direction, you have growth through delegation, growth through coordination, and then growth through collaboration. All right. Right. And at each one of these transition points, you have a crisis. So between creativity and direction is this crisis of leadership. Direct, direction and delegation is autonomy. Delegation coordination is control. Coordination collaboration is red tape. And then after collaboration, you have this crisis of identity. Right. And each one of these is, is a distinct phase in growth. And it ends almost every single time with the same crisis. So let's go a little bit deeper into this. Okay. So went through it pretty quick. Yeah. And I want to go a little bit deeper into what these are. And then sure. is there a way that people that are listening can do a litmus test or, you know, some set of yeah. either question or questions they can sort of ask themselves and go, where am I at? On the uh, is it the Griner curve. The the Griner curve, yeah, Griner. Griner curve, curve yes. Yeah. Griner. Yeah, definitely, definitely. We could do a deep dive here if that makes sense. I'd love to. Griner, Griner. All right, cool. So let's start. Let's start at the beginning, right? So you have this growth through creativity, and this is the. I started the business, right? It's a it's a small entrepreneurial company. The focus is on developing innovative products or services. Uh, so think about it as finding your product market fit. Uh, management's informal, decision-making is centralized, right? So this is your, uh, it's it's mm -hmm. Sheeran Engineering LLC. I'm, I may or may not have engineers working under me, but I am the principal in charge in every project. I make every decision, whether it's company, project, whatever, buck stops right here. The main challenge I'm facing at this part of my, my growth is attracting customers, generating revenue, right? This is, this is very much so blocking and tackling, I'm in survival mode as an entrepreneur. Am I going to make it or not? Is this something, is this, is my side hustle going to become my main hustle? Kind of a, kind of a decision point. Questions to ask, like if you're wondering if you're here, you know, are we small and entrepreneurial? Are we constantly developing innovative products and service? Like, do you find yourself playing with the widget that you're, you're creating? It's like, well, if we, instead of doing it this way, what if we tweak it and do it this way? Like, does the market take that better? Am I getting better sales there? You know, it's, you're kind of in this tinkering in this laboratory part of the phase. Every early stage, right? Did I just start the company yesterday? That's a pretty good, that's a pretty good telltale. That it, that's a generally good sign that you're probably in the first stage. <laughs> that, I'm, that I'm in creativity, right? 
Right. Yeah. And am I still making every decision? Is that decision making centralized and, and pretty informal? What this phase ends with is this crisis of leadership. So that occurs. It's that's characterized right by a need for more formalized leadership and management as the organization grows and becomes more complex. Right. So I can't keep up with all the I need. I need somebody. Right. I need it can't just be me. I have to start formalizing some sort of leadership, some sort of management. Okay. Right. So that's that's the that's the crisis of leadership. From there, we go through growth through direction. Right. So company is successful. You've made it. Yay. We made it. Hooray. Yay. Hooray. Hooray. Uh, focus now is on expanding your market and increasing efficiency. Right. So now I have revenue coming in the door. I have a I have a service that works. Uh, how do I increase profitability? How can I do this more efficiently? Where should I be looking at the business to drive that? I'm doing it in New York. Could I do it in Philly? Could I do it in Chicago? Right. Like, you know, I'm starting I'm starting to think about that expanding market share and increasing that efi efficiency. The management is becoming more formalized. It's becoming more centralized. And that chain of command is pretty clear. Right. It's very clear at this point. The main challenge is maintaining that momentum as you're adapting to change. Right. By nature, you've had to start to formalize this spine in the organization. But now by nature, you're not as flexible to be able to jump and move and, and move around. So how do you maintain the momentum while still being able to adapt to that change as you as you're going? It sounds like this at this stage, the structure component we talked about in the beginning is a, a necessity above everything else. When you're just the one man or maybe a couple man shop and so you're doing all the decisions anyways. The structure piece is probably lesser because you've just not made it yet. Right. And, and I say made it as in like you've gotten to the point where you're like, I'm not worried. I have to close the doors down tomorrow. Right. Like you've gotten to a point that you're like, okay, like I have a business. It's going to run. This is my main hustle. Like I'm being able to do this thing. Yeah. Now, oh, like I need to have more of a chain of command structure. Hey, yep. you know, talking about revenue, that's from you. Talking about ops, that's from you. Talking about our finances and profitability, that's from you. And I need... Like you need to have that more distributed in comparison to that one, one person. Hey everybody, Justin here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. As you know, Will and I are business nerds and love talking to leaders who've scaled their businesses using people, process, and technology. If that's something that gets you all jazzed up too, then do me a favor and hit the subscribe button. Don't forget to hit the little bell so you get notified every time we drop a sweet new episode. And if you know somebody who'd be an awesome guest on the show, send them our way. Just go to buildandscale.net slash guest. Now, back to the episode. Yeah, th that, that acorn is starting to sprout some roots there in this phase, but it's really the next phase, which is through delegation, where you start to see more of a leadership team. Right. And in direction, you're seeing chain of command, you're seeing some, but you're not getting that that really built out band around you as a leadership team. That's more of the next one. But you're definitely starting to scratch your head here uh, in direction and, and think and think about things like that. Uh, the, the question. So going to that right questions you could be asking. Right. Or did do we seem to have figured it out in terms of the product? Right. Are we experiencing rapid growth and expansion? Right. OK, I, I don't feel the need to tweak this anymore. Because what I have here now, I have wow, that's a nice little pipeline I've built up. Or clients are really enjoying the service. 
you know, I, we figured it out. All the, the friction points that you had in your mind in that early stage are starting to work themselves out. Are, are you focused on expanding that market share, on increasing efficiency, right? Have you started to, I dare I say, think less about revenue and more about profit, right? You know, <laughs> you know not that we ever don't care about revenue, but you start to look down at that because you have more of a company around you now, right? The revenue as the owner isn't the big thing you care about as much. It's, well, I got this whole band in here that I have to pay out. And then it's what's left at the end becomes more of my income. Will's got a saying for this. Top lines for vanity, bottom lines for sanity. That's right. I love it. And anyone that's, you know, uh, if you're a service-based business and you're at $5 million and you aren't looking at the bottom line, or maybe if you're like, you know, GC or something like that, 20 million plus, uh, and you're not looking strictly at the bottom line. Oh boy. Yeah. Please talk to Mark. Yeah. Not that, not that these phases have, you know, like, well, if you're in this phase, you must be between this and this much revenue, but this direction phase, I, I feel like is kind of that 1 million to 3 million, 1 million to 2 million, million kind of phase, right? Under a million, you're really in that creativity phase, right? Do I have it? Do I not? Once you crack that million dollars, but in our industry, it starts to become more of that, where am I going? What's that direction? Where you slam into at the top is this crisis of autonomy, mm-hmm. right? Which is you need more delegation of authority, right? You need the, the pen stroke. You need the decision making. You need, it has to be, I need to get this down and delegated formally through an actual structure. And what that um, what you graduate into is then growth through delegation, which is this the third the third one. Yeah. So uh, you come even larger and complex. Your focus is on diversifying and expanding geographically, right? So whereas you might have been thinking about it quietly before, you're really looking at you know in, in New York. I, I'm here. I can. I sure I could keep going here, but my, I'm hearing about again. I'm hearing about Philly. I'm hearing about Boston. Let me start looking at that, diversifying your service. I've made it as a structural engineer for all these years, but man, local law, I think 97 is good. Local law 97 is coming out and there's a real MEP um, synergy there. And wouldn't it make sense if we could be the structural engineer and the MEP, you start bringing in more of those things in-house so that you can grab more of that apple that's coming through as a project. You just don't, you don't wanna be just looked at as this. Why can't we be a one-stop shop for a little bit more? the management becomes decentralized with more delegation of authority and the responsibility of those lower level managers. Okay. And, and so what type of questions, if someone was asking themselves, are we in this phase, what type of questions would they be asking themselves? Yeah. So just, and this is not a great question, but just qualitatively, like, do we feel like a larger, more complex organization? This is where that complexity really starts to slap you in the face. Um, you're, you, as an, you start really feeling like you're running a business, right? Like I'm delegating stuff. I have, I have a CFO, maybe I, the finance department's out here. Somebody's actually running ops. Like mm-hmm. every project meeting I don't have to go to. That's kind of cool. The sales and marketing, maybe you're still brought in as the closer on projects, but you have a sales and marketing function. Either you have an agency out that does the marketing, you might have a salesperson in-house that does a lot of the cold call and runs the funnel. It just starts to feel like a, like a larger, more complex organization. Do you feel like you've hit the top on, on if you're single discipline, like do you feel kind of feel like you've run, you've run out of runway on that single discipline? 
you know, sure there's growth, but 80 20 rule, right? The next 20% of market shares are going to take you 80% of your efforts to get there. Or are you seeing in the marketplace a whole bunch of synergies and opportunities that if you just hired and hired a mechanical engineer, hired an electrical and MEP, fire, whatever it is, do you see those big opportunities to make one plus one equal three or more? That decentralized management structure is a big telltale for being in this growth through delegation. On the negative side, are you starting to face challenges in maintaining control and coordination across that organization? Right. So you're starting to hear things, you know, you're in a Monday morning meeting and somebody's like, yep, you know, we, you know, we decided this a couple of weeks ago and it didn't go well. You're like, wait, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Not only did I not know the decision was made, but I wasn't brought into how we were going to execute it. And you're telling me at the Monday morning meeting that it didn't work out well. You know, like those three things, those three steps of separation from the decision, you're probably in growth through delegation. So as that question would ask, the crisis you slap into here at the end, and this is really where Odyssey comes in, is this crisis of control, right? So there's this need for a more centralized and for more centralized, I'm sorry, for more coordinated control. It's not, it's not a re-centralization of it, but you need processes in place. Like how do you actually make these decisions? What's the, where in the book can you go? Who's in charge of what? You know, why do I have the finance person making operations decisions? You know, why is the sales, why is this tail wagging the dog in terms of sales telling me how I'm actually going to deliver this project? You know, let's get, let's get all that coordinated and let's start to maintain some consistency, right? We might've, we might've lost the handle a little bit of what it means to be ABC engineering and what that brand is and what our promise is. Uh, we got to retighten that up, get that consistency back up and coherence across what, again, has become this larger, more complex organization. And then there's this growth through coordination, which this is really the phase. So we get, we run into people who are smashing into that crisis of control, and then we work with them through this phase of growth through coordination. So in this phase, your focus is on integrating your various divisions and optimizing operations. Right. And that's what as a as an integrator, as a chief operating officer, as you know, whatever title you want to use for it, that's what this role does. So the management is now sophisticated. There's a focus on strategic planning and coordination. This is where you start to let's together quarter, let's have an annual plan, get together quarterly to touch base on it and rinse and repeat 90-day world versus outside the 90-day world. A lot of the what you hear about uh, is in this phase of growth. So questions to ask, right? Have you become, again, qualitative, have you become very large and diversified now, right? So whereas you were thinking about diversification before, do you have those multiple layers, right? Do you have a, uh, do you have a, a, a roof, you know, a roof part of the business? Do you have a facade part of the business? Do you have a window part of the business? Are you doing brick facades versus curtain walls? I'm thinking back to my Sullivan days, you know, those all would be very different parts of the business, that while technically they might feel the same in terms of, yeah, you're the dermatologist for my business, for my building, right? That's what a facade uh, facade engineering does. It's like technically this, these become very, very, very different things, similar to the difference between a structural engineer and a mechanical engineer, right? So have you reached that level of, of um, diversification? Are we focused on integrating various divisions, right? Do you have these different divisions that just don't like all these siloed kingdoms in your company? Right? Like how did how did this happen? You know, if if silos are a problem, you're probably in this. You're you're either bumping into the crisis of control, or you're in this growth through coordination and about to smash into your your next crisis, which is red tape. 
Um, are you starting to use more sophisticated management techniques, right? So when you read traction um, for EOS, do you close the book and say, oh man, that'll be so great someday when I'm th at that point of a business owner and I can bring that in? Or are you like, yep, Monday morning meeting, I am bringing this book in and we are starting it next week, right? If you have the ability to take that and pipe it through something, you're probably here. And the crisis, the crisis you slam into there is crisis of red tape. So there's a need for more flexibility and agility, right? So now we're, we're coordinated. We have all these systems. We have all this structure. We have the leadership team. We have this, we have that. And out of left field, this idea comes and we're like, oh, I can't get there, right? <laughs> like I just, I don't have that flexibility and agility anymore. There's just too much red tape, I, right? I, I become this slow moving organization. And it's, it's that crisis you have to get through. And then you get into this growth through collaboration, which is the, the last phase. Although I'll add the, the crisis that occurs here, although collaboration kind of just keeps floating along. So at this point, your, your network of businesses and alliances, you're focused on building partnerships and strategic alliances. The business part of it is kind of just is humming along, right? You've kind of figured it out. You've gone through your different crises. You've, you've get, made it through red tape. You're now focused on, okay, how am I going to deliver this nationally, right? What alliances are, am I going to pull together? Management becomes, again, much more focused on that external relationships, complex networks. Main challenge is, again, it's always agility, ability to adapt, because now we're this big, massive organization. So that's going to become the challenge. The crisis you hit is that crisis of identity. Like, okay, well, what am I, right? I'm this big, huge, massive organization. What is our purpose? What are our values? As you're building these focused relationships and these alliances and whatnot, how do we stay true to who we are and what we want to be while trying to build this momentum and this growth, heavily relying on other organizations that might also have their own culture and, and whatnot? So that's that's where the Griner curve ends at the end. Wow. I Holy cow. That was even better than I thought it would be. For me, a big light bulb moment, going back dark room, light room, was... Let's filter the people we want to work with on where they are in the curve, right? I had always put, you know, I like working with companies that have hit a certain dollar amount. <laughs> in my mind, it was because, well, they've, you know, if you're under this, you're here, if you're, but by seeing it with this framework in place, it's like, oh, no, no, I, I like growth through coordination. That's just what I like doing. Uh, you know, I take them from crisis to control to crisis or red tape. I work with them in coordination and, and on we go. And that happens to be north of a $5 million business. And that's why it's $5 million. It's not $5 because I like working with $5 million companies. It's I like solving these problems. And typically, that happens in our industry at that $5 million mark, plus or minus. It makes tons of sense because not to, to give any credit or not credit to people that try to help solo entrepreneurs or you know early stage startups where it's like, I can help you with your lead flow, right? Because that's always the thing. It's always leads, leads. I can get you leads. I can get you leads in the door, right? Mm -hmm. But after you've gotten to the point of like, I can get leads in the door, that person generally isn't helpful anymore. Like they're not like, they become like, right. the problem that you solve no longer is the problem that I really have. Now, maybe you still have them retained to do the thing, but it becomes like, that's not the problem I have anymore. Like I'm, I got a business, we're churning. Right. I have a collaboration problem. I have, you know, a coordination problem. I have all these different problems that then finding the right person to solve your problem, much like right person, right seat, just outside, right? Like I need the right person to come in to help me, uh, take me to the next level. Right, right, right. And a, a common 
um, story that I get where I know I'm one phase early mm-hmm. is because a lot of people have now read traction. EOS is all over the place. Yep. So everybody has this idea of I need a COO. I need an integrator. I need somebody to run operations, right? Because they go from integrator to COO. The O is operations. So I'm looking for somebody to run operations, right? I'm going to delegate operations and I'm going to go to the operations CEO integrator to do it. So Odyssey, can you, can you help us? And they're in growth through delegation, right? So they're looking to delegate operations. They don't have somebody running it already. They're not looking to coordinate any more effectively among it. They're looking for a doer to run operations. And for what we do, if we, we can't come in and run your right. operations. We run your leadership team to more effectively coordinate. So I see that that's a telltale for me when I'm, I know I'm speaking to somebody that's one phase early for what kind of services that we use. They haven't quite hit that crisis of control yet. And then what you need to do, what you need to do then is get yourself a little talent side of the business and then get the talent in there and then come in on top. Now I'm totally throwing you in visionary off track mode, but, <laughs> but it's an idea at a certain point. Hey, we, we can also yeah. uh, help us uh, get a seat filled for you. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And so what we, what we do, what we do as a quick aside is we'll help um, teams hire that, not at that phase of growth, but at some point what we do is fractional. Mm-hmm. And, and what we love to do is work ourselves out of a job. Mm-hmm. One of our core values is to always be authentic. And what that means, one of the things that means to me is I, you have to have the right people in the right seat at all times if you're working with me. And if at any point that's not me, I am the first person to raise my hand and say, this is, you could definitely, this is, there's definitely better fits out there than what we're doing for you. And a big one there is, look, we've gotten to the point where this is a role now, right? The table is set. I'd like to think of ourselves as we're the SWAT team or the Navy SEALs or whatever. We deal with change management. We get you from here to here. Once you're up here and you're on the plateau and you're cruising along, you don't really need the Navy SEALs floating there. Like having the having the Army come in and occupy is probably about right for what you need at that time. So we'll help you bring in that full-time COO that is generally on a on a raw number is a little bit cheaper, but just in terms of control. And what else they do with their time, it's just a much better investment if you're at that point in your growth cycle. So we'll help we'll help our clients. Uh, we're not recruiters, but we'll work with recruiters to help vet, identify, and get the right person in the right seat. So dark rooms, you're the Navy SEALs, and uh, you bring in the Army. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of analogies coming at you, Justin. A lot of analogies. Love that now. So helpful. I love analogies. I'm an analogy junkie too. So I'm all about it. I'm all, no, I think it is. That's the way I like process and learn things. I think I can learn much more complex things when I get analogies like that. So I think the all your analogies are spot on, for, at least for me. Hopefully uh, all the listeners feel the same way. So Hopefully. Oh, hopefully. I hope, I hope I'm getting my military references right too. Yeah, that you don't want you don't want to make those people mad. no that's that's a whole, whole different problem you're gonna have there <laughs> no no sir no sir so we talked a whole bunch about people in process so we gotta we gotta finish up here on the technology side what are you seeing as far as our companies seeing tech as a cost of doing business or competitive advantage so more and more 
um, I'm seeing it as a competitive advantage, especially for the clients that I'm working with that are moving into uh, that design build arena or, or public private partnerships or anywhere where the various stakeholders and the typical construction are working more closely and seamlessly together. Think about the last time you had to renovate anything in your house, right? Imagine all the touch points that happen between the architect, the engineer, the contractor, the village, this, the, 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 and all the, all the, again, the friction that was there. And if you're coming, bring all that in-house in a design build environment, you're owning all that friction and all that friction costs money. So if you can, if you can eliminate the friction through tech, you drive down your costs and it becomes a competitive advantage for you in the marketplace. And those are competitive bids, right? So if you can save money, tech enabled, you're, you're, you're going to win more work. So obviously competitive advantage and it doesn't matter where we've, we've have previous episodes with a lot of different examples around this, everything from quoting to, like you said, friction mm -hmm. in the internal pieces and the back and forth. So the relational communication, et cetera, but obviously the ones that are growth oriented, does cybersecurity ever come up as part of technology? Cyber, cyber security comes up all the time. Yeah, all the time. Wow. So, you know, it's it. Uh, most times the forward thinking clients are looking around the corner and wondering what the next shoe is to drop on, on cybersecurity. So they know about it. Um, they, they know it's something they should be focused on. Uh, they either have the right people in-house or they don't, but it's 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 beyond this thing that they can turn a blind eye to and not pay attention to. Has it, uh, has it caused them, even from your own clients uh, or what you've seen, has it caused pain if they weren't forward thinking on it? So thankfully, the clients that it could have potentially caused pain on were the forward thinking ones, and they were able to deflect. And so it didn't cause pain. I mean, it was a headache for a period of time, but no actual damage. Um, knock on wood, the clients that are more, you know, reactionary to it haven't been, in my in my experience, haven't been hit yet, but that's probably more the exception than the rule, obviously. Okay. Well, thank you for that. Yeah, Just, of course. Then, Justin, do you want to end us here with our last question? I'm excited. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Very excited about Mark's answer because I I we didn't get we didn't get any preview on this so it's always good like it's always like a surprise for us as well so that's awesome so Mark if you can go back twenty years that's two thousand three old school came out what would you tell yourself you know I I've listened to a bunch of these podcasts and I know this question's coming so um, I was thinking about it earlier and so what I do at Manhattan College right is I go back and I I there's this leadership and civil engineering course and I come in as a as a guest lecturer and the talk I give is on I sit up there and we do like a facilitated session and it's what guys throw throw out at me what what do you where do you want to be in 5 years like just give me things it's a professional engineer I want to be a business owner I want to live abroad I want to and whatever it is that becomes that north star and then the game is okay well what are the buckets of experience that you think you need to fill up with water in order to get to that five-year goal. And then those buckets become the filters that you can use for decision-making, right? Because it's especially Manhattan College in the city, good brand. There's a lot of job opportunities for, for these kids coming out. Mm -hmm. And it's hard if they have five offers 
to look at anything other than dollars because the dollars are the only defined thing in front of them without any sort of an other filter in place. So this filter gives them a little bit of a framework and a structure for decision-making. If they wanna be a PE in five years, they can't take the job at the subcontractor that doesn't have a PE on staff because they just won't be able to get the experience. So I don't care if they're charging you $10,000 more. Mm -hmm. You cannot take that job, right? It, it's just not it's just not worth it. It doesn't fit. Um, so I wish I was in that lecture or given that perspective 20 years ago, because I kind of, you know, through experience and having a, you know, networking and iterating like crazy around ideas, I was, that's a framework that I've, I'm sure it exists somewhere. And if I was smarter, I would have found it instead of, you know, pulling it all together myself. But I wish that that was a lecture I had sat in on because it would have, it would have been, would have been helpful. A little back to the future, go back in time, sit in your own lecture. Okay, I see what you're saying there. Okay. A little back to the future. Yeah. Uh, that That's super. I One, you should, if you haven't, you should post this uh, framework that you have, which I love that your answer was a framework. Framework alert. Uh, you should post this on, on LinkedIn or wherever to say, hey, you're in this industry, like, you know, they pay me big bucks, you know, as a lecturer, uh, you know, that's, that's the, that's really where the money comes in, uh, being a lecturer, uh, I'll tell you, but, uh, definitely, but definitely. hey, that, that'd be super helpful, because I agree with you, like, you think, oh, not like, this place is going to pay me more, I'll figure out the rest later, it's like, that's not the way you should go about it, you should, like, what's the goal? <laughs> right, that's not the way you should go about it, right, right, especially when you break it down to how much extra per hour it is, it's usually not not worth any sort of a decision making. Well, you know, may, you know, maybe New York's expensive though, so you know, you know. <laughs> it's true. It's true. That extra quarter goes a long way. <laughs> Alrighty, uh, Mark, we're gonna throw all social media, all that fun stuff, in the show notes uh, for you. But if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, what's the best way they can do that? Yeah. So uh, email is Mark at odysseyadvisors.us. So that's O D Y S S E Y advisors.us, and it's Mark with a K. Awesome. 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 Uh, Mark, you've been amazing. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to share with the people? No, thank you so much for, for having me. I've listened to these podcasts for a bunch. So being here today definitely made my, made my 2023 so far. So thank you so much. All right. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. All right. Glad we could do that for you. Uh, well, we had a whole bunch of fun uh, listeners. I hope you did as well. And until next time, adios. Adios. Thanks for listening to Building Scale to help us reach even more people. Please share this episode with a friend, a colleague, or on social media. Remember, the three pillars of scaling a business are people, process, and technology. And our mission is to help the AEC industry protect itself by making technology easy. So if you think your company's technology pillar could use some improvement, Book a call with us to see how we can help maximize your IT and cybersecurity strategy. Just go to buildingscale.net slash help. And until next time, keep, keep building, building scale. scale. <laughs>